Let me tell you a story about the town I grew up in. It had a bit of a tough reputation when I was a kid. It was flanked on both sides by an Air Force base and a naval base and everything that they brought with them. But it was a hell of a place to be a teenager. We had this hangout called the Elvis Room. And at the start, it was a coffee house, but it had a bar vibe around it. And in time, they expanded into the space next to them, installed a stage, sound and lights, and it turned into a punk rock club by night. Downtown was ruled by punks, skinheads, and goths, and several times a week we had a show to be at. It was the best. We had not one, but three record stores to shop at. There was wild art and theater. We could go to midnight productions of Rocky Horror. Man, we had it all. But then things changed, like they do. Nothing lives forever, but the way that this scene died was nothing short of a tragedy. The Air Force base was closed. The Navy Yard scaled back operations in a big way. The Cold War was years over, and there was no one left to nuke. That was the first nail. The second was the dot-com crash. The third was heroin. The last one was the housing crisis. The whole place was done, but there was blood in the water. The real estate predators came around and tore the place down. Like invading missionaries who built churches over the pagan shrines, they built temples to their own swarming opulence over every place we had to go to until we had no place to go to. And it pissed me off. Every ounce of magic was strangled from this place by the ruthless consumption of real estate development. Nowadays, the city has no character. It's a corpse wearing makeup. But I have a plan to put the magic back, and it is fucking nuts. I'm Brian White, and this is Fear is the Mind Killer. My guests today have a similar mission. Bex, Jeremy, and Garrett are the minds behind the liminal map at liminal.earth, a living catalog of strangeness around the world, where capitalism does all it can to crush wonder and magic to ensure the luxury of a few. Liminal Earth counters by giving tools to the world to drop a pin on the map and tell their crazy story. We talk about being haunted by old religion, the loss of personal agency, and how consciousness shapes the world around us. And if you like what you hear, you can subscribe to Fear is the Mind Killer on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And while you're at it, I sure would appreciate a five-star review. It helps raise the show's profile and gets the word out. And now, here's Bex, Jeremy, and Garrett. You're listening to Fear is the Mind Killer. I am your host, Brian White. Today is an experiment in uh, podcasting that I have been, I will just say right up top, I have been sort of dreading in a way, and it has nothing to do with my guests. My guests are three people who I have been very much looking forward to speaking to, but holy shit, this has the this has the potential to be real pandemonium. Today, I'm speaking to three people. They represent probably the single, uh, like one of, one of the greatest repositories of weird on the internet. Uh, these are the folks from Liminal.Earth. How are you guys doing? Feeling fine, Brian. Feeling fine. <laughs> good. 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 Um, so can I just get each each one of you guys to just brief introduction, name, and whatever, whatever you feel like, whatever you feel like saying. Papa Bowie, you know, it's up <laughs> to you. The world is your oyster. <laughs> I'll go first. Um, my name is Bex Atwood. I am a witch, mycologist, paranormal investigator. 
uh, here on the Key Peninsula in Washington that's right in the Puget Sound there. Um, moved here just a couple years ago and found myself in a series of strangeness. Um, so I've been exploring that. Uh, met Liminal Earth through a mutual friend and we clicked instantly. Everything flowed well. And I was kind of looking for that hole in the paranormal where I could fit like my botany degree. <laughs> like I wanted to be able to not have that completely go to waste, um, moving away from landscape design. So um, meeting Jeremy, especially talking to Garrett, we, we all have very similar ideas about how we want to approach the paranormal, what we want to do as creators. Um, that all flows really well. But my what sold me with Little Earth was that I can still use like my botany skills. <laughs> I can use uh, a plant person's approach to the paranormal in some senses. So uh, sold, I'm here for the long haul and we're we're doing some really exciting stuff. Um, so yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll go next. I'm Garrett Kelly. Um, I live in Bremerton. So about a half hour north of Bex on the other side of Seattle over the Puget Sound. And um, I'm kind of, uh, I, I don't know, I, I approach this, uh, I'm kind of a goofball, but I'm into weird tech stuff. Um, I used to be terrified of all the, all of this stuff like that. The, the communion cover, like as a child, just being like, I mean, I think that's a lot of people's experience, but like, that was my engagement with paranormal stuff like that. My dad had these weird time life books and, um, Did he have mysteries I, of the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally awesome. Just like, so like, I was just terrified of that as a kid. And then as I got older, I met Jeremy and, uh, in Seattle and I read Mothman prophecies and actually reading communion, like changed my perspective as I approached that like fear. Um, so yeah. And, then Jeremy and I started this map like a couple of years ago. Um, so yeah, that's where I kind of been using my tech skills to like help with things and, you know, being a big dork on the internet on TikTok. So Jeremy Puma, uh, I'm up here in Seattle, which is, it's actually across the, the water from these two. There's a huge Puget Sound separates Seattle from um, where they are. So I, I like, I get to go on a, on a ferry ride to, to see them. Um, which is always pretty fun. Um, I've lived in Seattle since 98, but I grew up in Florida, um, in Northeast Florida, in a town called St. Augustine, which a lot of people in the paranormal world know because there's this haunted lighthouse that like every single paranormal team goes to. Um, there's like so much more spooky stuff out there than, <laughs> uh, than the lighthouse. Um, it would be fun to get down there sometime and check all that stuff out. But being raised in that environment, growing up in that environment, um, I was exposed to a lot of weirdness. I mean, Florida to begin with is weird in and of itself, but to be in like the oldest permanently occupied European colony in the country. Yeah. So I was, uh, mentored by a fascinating person. Um, she was kind of this, uh, witch who lived out in the middle of the pine barrens and, and swamp. Um, and I've, I've kind of been into the paranormal and occult ever since then. So um, I studied it a lot in school. I went to college and did uh, a focus on philosophy and religion. Um, and then I ended up getting into plants and uh, the crossover between um, the paranormal and, and foraging. So I also teach 
classes in foraging for wild edible plants. And um, yeah, there's a lot in, in common there. Um, it's, it's a niche interest of mine, uh, but it informed kind of our, my understanding of all of this. And yeah, I started the map project with Garrett. Um, he and I met online in like 2003 and had been talking a lot back and forth. And I said, oh, you're in Seattle. We should get together for coffee or, or a beer sometime. He's like, yeah, that sounds good. Where in Seattle are you? And we talked about it and realized that for years we've been living across the street from each other, um, but never realized it. <laughs> so um, that was kind of fun. Uh, and then we just kept talking and, and one day we said, let's put all these weird experiences on a map and, and the rest, as they say, uh, is history. So yeah. it's a, it was a really, it's a really wild, a very great idea um, because there's, there's certainly websites out there that, that kind of, you know, catalog the geography of weird around the world, but it tends to be like, like my, my kind of go-to is Atlas, Atlas Obscura, which, you know, it's not purely weird. You know, there's a lot of just like interesting stuff on there, but the bulk of it is, is really, is really, you know, at least strange in some way, but at the same time, all of the stuff that like, in order to get listed there, you know, it has to have some kind of like historical significance or be kind of connected to somebody of, of importance, but where, but, but the, the liminal map is an entirely different tool as far as I understand it, where it's like, you're just some dude who had a weird experience in a place like drop a, you know, drop a pin on the map where that happened and tell your story. And it's, it's, it really is, it kind of lends itself to this idea where I, I've been kind of tossing around where true American folklore is, is our sort of catalog of uh, like strangeness, like the, the, the things that have happened to people here that seems to be disconnected from other cultures, where it's not like, you know, you know, a European thing, even it's just, this is something that is very uniquely, you know, very unique to the American landscape, you know, like Skinwalker Ranch or things like that. And so it, it's really just a, it's a fantastic tool. I love it. I love to just like, there, and there's so much there that you can just like, practically throw a dart in a metaphorical sense and just come up with something interesting especially if you're around you know in your neighborhood and you're always like me who i look around my area and think man nothing interesting happens around here like it's completely it's completely bullshit which is not true at all because like i you know this is this is kind of like the heart of where the ufo phenomenon kind of popped up i mean like you know barring uh, Roswell, of course, but like the Exeter incident happened here and Betty and Barney Hill are like buried walking distance from my house and like their their whole abduction experience happened like 45 minutes away from where I live. So like there's definitely there's definitely stuff going on. But like, you know, the map also kind of points out like, here's something really weird that you probably never would have happened. Like I went into this spot and when I came out, uh, it was like three hours later, even though I felt like I was in there for 15. So uh, it's, it's, it's totally, it's one of the coolest things. And I, I really love that you guys found your, found your niche there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the map kind of takes a lot of the grunt work out of like, if you want to research local paranormal, but you don't want to just sit outside of the gas station and, and question people all day. <laughs> um, that's kind of how I see it. Cause that's what I did before I was with Little Earth. I put up flyers all around my peninsula. I talked to every single one of my neighbors once I had experiences and found out that they were shared or had parallels. And that's how I started to uncover my own mysteries within my neighborhood. And then I saw, oh, there are these guys that are doing this worldwide, but I no longer have to do the grunt work if I don't want to as like this normal 
consumer of this paranormal content, right? But now I'm on the other end and I'm like, I get to still bug people at the gas stations, but it's going to be for the better good of this, this worldwide audience that we have. And it's, it's great, man. But I think you're right about the American folklore. I think that's a very interesting little niche where we have like these pockets of strangeness, but then those communities are forever changed by that reputation. Um, and it's, it's fascinating what a what a spooky story can do to a place and to people. Yeah, yeah, it really is because it's always been my my sort of opinion of like America is like you know we we came here like you know white you know white people came here and and kind of brought elsewhere with them and then just completely paved over what was already here and then in some ways like we're now kind of just like it's always been there but honestly it seems like we're kind of living in uh kind of like a new golden age of of like high weirdness where like we've got stuff like hellier is is being mentioned by like celebrities in major media outlets and it's like it's really kind of come to the fore and like new like whole new veins of spirituality and sort of occult practice are kind of rising up uh where where this was stuff that people never really spoke of before and i mean I, i i honestly like before 10 years ago it was even really kind of unknown so that this this having this catalog it really is kind of like here's like a cluster in minnesota of like weird stuff that happened to just individuals who thought to tell the story and like if you spend enough time kind of sifting through it you eventually find like connective tissue between them and it sort of comes to form a piece of the landscape of that like you know that hypothetical space in minnesota um and that really is kind of what we're discovering here in like in this kind of golden age where there is a lot of weirdness that seems to be bubbling up to the surface um and like there have been people in the past who tried to tell us and most people i think kind of hand waved it like i don't know if you've ever read peter lavenda's sinister forces books but they're magnificent um if you if you keep up with penny royal penny royal is kind of uh, digging through that dirt right now where his his central thesis is America is a giant haunted house um, and it's sort of beating heart lies in Kentucky and uh, those guys doing the Penny Royal podcast are turning up some just very very strange stuff that is sort of crucial to the American story in ways that you just never would have would have expected um, and uh, it, it's something that I, I've been kind of obsessed with lately. Like I, I, after after the Hellier kind of mystery kind of ran its course with me, I was like, I must have more. And I found that podcast. And it's that one just makes my head spin at times because it's sort of like the true detective version of Hellier where they're getting into some really, really strange, like deep state stuff. It's so, it's so bizarre. So kind of, I want to move past that a little bit, but I wanted to ask each one of you guys, um, there seems to be one sort of like flashpoint for each of us who sort of ends up in these weird spaces. Um, And that is usually we have some kind of a strange experience that draws us deeper into like these just kind of like parapsychological cryptids, hauntings, the occult, some, there's always some little kernel in our lives that, that either kind of bonded us to it an experience uh that that maybe you guys have each one of you had like how what was it that originally brought you into this that sort of i don't know was the the sort of pin on the map that eventually kind of like led you to this place where you're at right now i mean for me it 
growing up in Northeast Florida. <laughs> um, it's hard to, to think of something that was specific. Um, you know, I, I mentioned before in, in a few other uh, interviews in a couple of other places about how, um, you know, I had this and I mentioned it earlier, the uh, uh, kind of a mentor um, who introduced me to a lot of this stuff. And, and she was incredible. But I can't think of any singular, particular um, thing. But there were like a lot of things that were smaller because I was kind of grew up in an era, area where where high strangeness was kind of woven into the thread of, of existence. Um, and so that lighthouse has a real profound effect on the people who sort of come into contact with right. it. Cause like you said, like every, every ghost hunting show has been there, but like, not just that, um, that was really kind of like the flashpoint for Jeff Vandermeer's, uh, trilogy of the area X stories, if you're familiar with them. So, I mean, it definitely has like people who encounter it, it leaves an impression, even though I've, I've seen it, it's just a, just a light. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I was saying, that's actually probably one of the least uh, strange things I can think of, you know, from that, from that area growing. I mean, we're talking about a place that has, you know, a 17th century um, Spanish fort and uh, just down the road, there's a, a tourist trap centered on uh, the ruins of a, uh, a native village um, there. You can still find the shell mounds there. And, um, you know, there's the oldest still built current European style wooden structure, a house, you know, in the Americas there. Um, on top of that, there's the just general Floridaness of the whole place. There's alligators. There's like, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, um, you know, the whole, there's very, very much that sort of, weird um simulacra simulacrum disney world-esque side to things there too where it's a lot of tourist areas a lot of people come down um it, it they they're almost like it's a layer of weirdness that is is just superimposed on the landscape um that just de facto it's there and i i know a number of you know i still have friends there and friends from there and and all of them say the same thing it's like we're we're into this because we have no choice we were born into it um just growing up you know in that area um so yeah i mean it's it's really hard to, to nail down one specific spooky or unusual incident um you know i got a whole catalog <laughs> for me anyhow yeah i think for me um i remembered one event um in particular, and it was when I was a really young, young girl. Um, so it was about from age four to six that I remember. Um, I was an insomniac, so I, I don't remember sleeping a whole lot. I remember waiting outside of my parents' door until I heard snoring, and then I would wander around and, and cause havoc. And so, um, like a little sleep gremlin. <laughs> and so I uh, had like this little cot that I'd build in front of the TV. And eventually I would find myself in the hour right before light when it's purple out. And I, I have a lot of memories of being in my living room where it's all purple and there's either TV static or just a black TV screen. And I remember um, being able to look into that static or to look into that black screen and sort of to see things. Um, lo and behold, that's called scrying. <laughs> that's, that's like a witchcraft practice. That's very, <laughs> that's very interesting. Cause 
it definitely it goes back to a time when television actually used to go off the air like there was a that's such an alien concept nowadays like that doesn't happen anymore but that was a thing like if i i had something like that in, my, in a house where i lived in when i was uh, quite quite young we were probably about the same age we're speaking of but like instead of the tv we had this weird like with this weird like flooring pan like panels of flooring in our kitchen that was it looked like a mosaic but um there wasn't really any there was no there's no image to it it was just like shapes all kind of like they're all sort of earth tony um and just like random shapes but i remember one morning looking at it being like holy shit there's a story being told in this in the in the in the pattern of this floor it's very very weird so that's that's amazing i'm, I'm so glad to, to hear you say that because i've always wanted to tell somebody about that but the folks that i've told in the past are just like i think your mind was playing tricks on you because you were like nine years old at the time and you know yeah but uh no no that's that's very interesting so the reason why i'm like i, I feel like it's a paranormal event is because i don't have a lot of memory after that until I'm about six or seven and I had this like portable VHS built-in like little square TV in my room and I like the next memory I have that I can remember I slept with my top sheet on top of the TV and so there was a point in my life where I went from like scrying into this television every night to a couple years later covering it up before I went to bed so I'm just like kind of exploring that right now and trying to see what the heck happened. <laughs> so there's, there's a, there's like, so there's basically, there's a gap in your memory of like something that drew you to be like, mm -hmm. th like to pull a Carol Ann and just like take the TV out of the room. hundred percent. And I don't know what it is. Um, I, yeah, I'm not a stranger to like trauma and stuff. So I'm like, okay, something traumatic happened there. I'm not exactly sure. What did I see? What did I see? So that's what I'm exploring in meditation, but I'm also super scared of scrying now. And I have this black bear behind me because it's like my first step to try to confront that fear and be like, no, I'm going to make my own scrying mirror. I'm going to scry into it, but I'm too scared, but I'll get there. <laughs> I'm having Katie Webb talk me through it right now. She's been a great cheerleader, but I'm, I'm just, I don't know. Every time I, it, the, like you start to see something, I check out. So that tells me something happened <laughs> when I was a kid. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say. You want me to go now? Uh, if you if you figure, yes. don't feel pressured. If uh, if uh... well, I, I I like Jeremy. I think I don't have like one incident, but I I I was thinking about there's this time when I was very young. I was like three, four, and I uh, I was watching the Ewoks adventure movie. I don't know if you've ever seen. Oh sure. Yeah. And there's a part where like he saves his parents by building a catapult. Um, and so I thought it was a genius idea to make one myself. And I made one with some blocks and I jumped off my bed and it ended up hitting me in the forehead and uh, all this, you know, blood. And I had to go get stitches. And um, my memory of the, the hospital uh, is that they had to like tie me to the bed and that I was like terrified, petrified. Uh, I was wanted to get out and I was resisting and and like fighting them, but they like tied me to the bed. Um, and I talked about my mom this late later. She's like, you were laughing. You were totally calm. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know if this is like a kid memory or. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. It's weird how like, yeah, yeah, like my memory of that is very different than what she tells me it was like. So, but I remember later seeing like fire in the sky and, and uh, you know, the Travis Walton and there's, like I just watched it recently. Yeah. Where he's like restrained. And like, even now, like even being pinned down or, or in a enclosed space, it triggers that same memory. And it, it you know, seeing that those shows, uh, or that movie like really terrified me and it, it related me to that incident. Um, I, yeah. So I, I think it goes back to this, the thing that is scares me about all of this is just being like out of control, like someone else being total control and me not have, not that I'm like a control freak, but that uh, I don't like having that taken away from me. And so anytime these like paranormal things happen, where I feel like there is this menacing, like it has the control and I don't, it really freaks me out. And, um, and I think that's the thread in any of my really spooky experiences. That That's the thing that really drives me nuts. Yeah, that's a great hook to kind of jump off and actually, you know, ask you guys the question because I, I love having people who sort of make this, this their business uh, on the show because if if you if you kind of like if we chase this stuff for fun like then what could possibly actually frighten you and so i mean that's a very very valid very valid thing and i certainly can understand that i have a very you know very similar uh sort of thoughts on that because like i'm also a very easygoing very relaxed i never really plan ahead for anything so when things go wrong my instinct is to just kind of roll with it and adapt but I've certainly been in situations where I'm, I'm, you know, I'm at the mercy of somebody else's control. It sucks. So, <laughs> you know, like I, I really, really, I understand that it really kind of brings something out of, out of me. So, I mean, that's a, that's, I would say that's a really good place to kind of, to kind of jump in. Uh, what I think we just got, we just got one of them, but what scares you guys? I have a fear that what I was raised on ideologically wise is actually like, I wouldn't say it's actually true or anything, but I fear having to sometimes, if I ever have to go back to that, it's like this weird, um, I grew up very Pentecostal in this, in this holiness church. And so I remember being super interested in paranormal TV, given all the experiences I had as a kid and, um, being told that if I watched it, demons would come into our house. And so, um, I went through a series of like buying DVDs and burning my DVDs, like <laughs> you know, there's a lot of friction. And then I eventually um, rebelled to the point where I was like, I'm going to investigate. And I got like a weekly column in my local paper. I did the whole thing. And so um, what I realized though, is that I, as I started to transition from approaching these investigations with like, a, ah, let's be teenagers and let's be scared and let's rebel and let's trespass to, oh, this is actually quite interesting what's happening. Um, the transition from being scared to almost um, having a more meaningful, curious approach completely shifted my own interactions with the phenomenon completely. And so I no longer fear the paranormal at large when I'm when I'm looking into it. So I remember talking with Jim Perry recently and he's like, how do you respond when 
you know, what, what, what would people try to combat what you're doing with WUFO, for instance, where every single Wednesday I try to contact aerial entities at large. Like what's, what happens if you do, have you had success? And my, I, it's not something that I fear. It's something that I kind of run headfirst into because I just want to know. I just want to know. I don't want to explore. Um, but there's something deep down inside of me where I'm worried that if there's ever that too far point that I'll somehow go back to, to being holiness. It's a very irrational, weird one, but it, that's the last piece of me that it has. If that makes sense. You're speaking my language. I understand you completely. You know, <laughs> um, I, I've kind of spoken to it quite a bit on the show, actually, is that in my childhood, I was raised in a in in a very Catholic house. And so, you know, honestly, of all of the sort of like versions of Christianity that are out there, I mean, honestly, I think the only the only kind of like flavor of it that really rivals Pentecostalism in terms of its sort of superstition is Catholicism. And so it really does put something in you that kind of lives there. And I've, I, you know, I, I think I discussed it with, with Alan Greenfield, but also, you know, a couple other guests where there is this, you know, like I'm a, I'm also a magician. And so I chase, you know, and I'm not, but I'm not doing, you know, I'm doing like the ceremonial high magic stuff and my sort of, you know, lofty ambitions toward the great work. But um, there is this little piece of me that's like, well, like, what if, what if everything they told you was right and you get to the end of all this and it's like, you know, straight to straight to the inferno with you. You know, obviously, you know, I'm 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 being a little hyperbolic, but like, I definitely get that. Like, there's something about it that, like, the religion itself never really hooked me, but I had a very similar journey where, like, I just kind of thought it was boring. It was kind of bullshit, and I didn't really understand it. You know, and my parents never really communicated it to me in a way that was effective in pulling me in. It was just sort of like, this is a thing we do on Sunday, and you know, deal with it. And so I had the same thing where I had the books and I had the videos and stuff. And, and like my parents, uh, they, they were both into sort of weirdness in a weird way that like, we had a lot of, a lot of like pulpy sci-fi and, and horror fiction on the shelves. My mom was one of the first people to really introduce me to the concept of like a haunted house when she told me a story. And so like, I was just like unbelievably drawn in. Like I could not, it was a, comp a compulsion that I was, I would never, I'm glad I never kicked, but like I had this sort of back and forth where it's like, I must know, oh my God, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm condemned for eternity for knowing, you know, but I also in the sort of practical application of my, of my occult practice, I do occasionally have that moment where it's like, I may have just stepped a little too far and uh, I don't know what's going to happen after this is, you know, this has gone down. So there is always that sort of like little lurking voice that can, uh, it starts out very small, but it can really sort of reverberate into a, into a much larger sort of source of anxiety. Uh, so I 100% understand. You. Oh man, that, that feels great. And also I heard you, I heard you, I heard you on, I heard you talking to Jim on, uh, it was one of the last night yeah. drifts. And so, <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that was, that was great. It was about the disappearing, the disappearing places uh, episode, which uh, I am on an upcoming episode talking about a disappearing place, uh, something very, very strange that happened to me uh, when I was a kid. So yeah, <gasps> yeah this is, uh, this is a very wild confluence of events. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> let someone else go. Yeah. Um, 
you had submitted something to the map, I believe, right? Was it? I did. The was it the, the church in the woods? It's uh, close. It's the. It's actually the the subject of the euphemat that I'm on is related to the story that I wrote for Liminal Earth. Okay, cool. And it's it's a story. It's a story called the Bomb Shelter. That's right. That's right. Yes, I I, I had another story in that I associated with you for some reason and realized yes, I had it mixed up. But wow, that's fascinating. Can't wait for that. That that'll be awesome to to hear. I think for me, you know, I'm not really afraid of paranormal stuff um, in general. Yeah, I was uh, I was talking the other day. Um, our our friend uh, Maglin Kelly, who does weird astrology, uh, they put a, a poll out about you know what your earliest experience was, and you know it made me remember something that I I had forgotten um, when I was a kid. It was probably eight or nine, and woke up one night. And there was a, the only way I can describe it is it was a very sort of simple looking coffin shaped form sort of hovering in my room with like two red eyes. And, you know, I tell people that and they're like, what? But the thing that strikes me about it that, that I remember is I was like, oh, huh, look at that. And fell right back asleep. <laughs> like there was no. Yeah fear associated with it there was no it was just it was literally just kind of like a what is that and i you know I, there are other accounts of, of people who have had experiences um and and feel this sort of similar it's not even like a peacefulness it's just like a, oh this is a mundane thing that's happening how old were you uh, i was eight or nine or so um okay you know, and it's not like it's a it doesn't even feel like it was a buried memory or something like that it was just like oh yeah I remember that. It's like the, you know, if somebody was like, you remember when you were eight or nine and you went to uh, the park with your cousin and you guys had such a great time um, and, and you might be like, oh yeah, yeah. It's similar to that. For me, it's like, remember when you were eight or nine and you woke up and there was a floating coffin with red eyes in your room and, and I'm, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. I have that same. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I don't know why. And and when it comes to the the actual, um, you know, when we go out and investigate or look at weird stories or thinking about like UFO abductions and and that kind of thing, um, I'm not like afraid of spiders, but I don't like how it feels when they're crawling on me. So you know, if one like falls on me and I'm like, ah, it's not because I'm afraid of it. It's because. I wasn't expecting it and I don't like the feeling of it crawling on me. Um, and I think it's similar for me with, with paranormal stuff when we um, go out and, you know, we investigated a haunted house and it was never a feeling of, of fear, even going down into the, the darkness. Um, because I think a lot of, like, I also have been into occultism uh, magic and probably more of a folk bent um, kind of like the cunning man tradition, if you're familiar with that. Um, sure. Uh, less of a tradition, but also, um, you know, I was I was from a Sicilian culture growing up where, you know, the folk concept of constantly protecting yourself from the evil eye and that kind of thing, um, you know, was just kind of always there in the background. And so I've always felt like kind of like I know what to do if something happens. I know there's a spectrum of options that I have that a lot of people don't know about because they haven't studied it. Um, you know, it's not because they're right or wrong. It's the same thing. It's like, I don't know anything about um, being an accountant. Um, and it, that it's the same kind of thing. Like, those are the tools that I have. And I know I have them. And so I'm comfortable in a situation um, knowing that 
that I'm prepared for that. Um, I think when it comes to like real fears though, the thing that worries me the most, um, so I have an anxiety disorder, which I like to talk about because I think that needs to be destigmatized. I think a lot of people deal with, you know, mental issues and, and so I have this generalized anxiety disorder that, that manifests, um, you know, at, in unusual places and times, and I have it well under control. Um, you know, the typical therapy medication avenues worked for me, but as part of that, there's always been a fear of something happening to me physically, like a sickness, like, like I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get like sick and die and like leave the people I love behind or not be able to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish before, uh, you know, I transition to whatever the next state is. That to me is way more like that. If I'm awake at night and have insomnia, that's the kind of thing that, that worries me not being abducted. Like if it, an alien wants to abduct me, that's fine. <laughs> that doesn't like, that doesn't worry me too much. You know, going down into a spooky basement uh, in a haunted house, like I'll be the first one down the stairs. You know, there are a couple of things, you know, I don't really like, I'm not big into like tight cave spaces. Like I don't want to go, like if we ever had to to investigate a haunted underwater cave, I'd probably say no. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but beyond that for me, um, you know, the fear is really always um, not being able to finish something I start for reasons beyond my control, I think, especially if it impacts the people I care about. I just talked to Marco Visconti on an, on an episode, and he had a very similar sort of kind of how, how our discussion went, where it was just like, I mean, there's so much to do. And have I made the most of my time on the, you know, on Earth? Is there still, you know, are there people who kind of depend on me? That sort of thing. I mean, it's perfectly uh, a perfectly reasonable thing. Uh, to feel. And I mean, as per, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm a father. I totally, you know, I get that. I got, you know, you know, there's people who kind of, who are counting on me and uh, you know, it would be a real bummer to kind of like check out and leave them in a lurch. Uh, that's yeah. That's, that's definitely something that I, I, that comes to mind more than I probably uh, uh, give consideration to. Yeah, for, for sure. Um I, uh, I was recently, I was recently for all the hair that I have, I was recently getting uh getting a haircut and there was a woman, the woman who was cutting my hair. I don't, I hate barber chair, like small talk. Like I don't, I don't do very well with like, you know, just, you know, small talk with strangers. It's, it's a very, very hard thing for me to do, but the way that this conversation rolled out was very strange where it was like, Oh, Hey, you know, what are you doing? Where's, you know, what's your you know, what, what, it was like a long weekend or something like that. She's like, what, what, you know, what have you been up to that kind of thing? And it, it kind of turned to uh, a discussion about like going swimming in the Saco river, which is, you know, it's a mountain river up this way. And uh, she, she got onto a tangent about like the year that it, it flooded and it got like, it was like higher by like five feet and she drowned to death and had this basically like, you know, a near death experience. And like in that sort of space beyond the, uh, the feet, she told me that she basically was like completely passive to it. And uh, uh, in that space, like she was completely at peace with this because there was like the, like the human part of her was like left behind. And she was like, it, it just, just, it was a very strange conversation that eventually led to her telling me about when her daughter died and how she was like, okay with this because she had been there and knew what it was like. 
very, very strange, like easily the strangest conversation, one of the strangest conversations I've ever had, let alone to have been told this by a stranger who was like buzzing my hair. It was the most bizarre que- uh, sort of line of, of conversation like ever. And uh, it's probably the, like the first time that that's ever happened to me. And it's like in the, in the, in the process of this sort of experiment I'm doing where I'm trying to draw strangeness to me. I've written about it on Codex Astarte a little bit. It was like the first time that I was like, like, holy shit, that was really strange. But like, oh, I think this experiment is working. It definitely, it definitely seems like we, you know, this is one of the things we've noticed quite a lot. Um, I, I like, actually, I like it when Garrett talks about this too, how um, the more you start looking into this, uh, the more you kind of, I don't know, it's, it's um, you know what we talk about it in, in terms of that, uh, makes it kind of easier to understand is the idea of learning about um, plant identification. Uh, we're kind of big on that. And um, <laughs> that you could go for a walk and not know any plants and you have one experience. But as soon as you start learning about the plants around you, what they do, um, you know, edibility, medicinal, um, even their magical or folkloric properties. Um, it's like putting on a pair of goggles or taking off a pair of goggles and you have this new sort of plant awareness of the world around you and what we find when we go out and do things on the map um, and start exploring and talking to people is that um, it's very similar to the way that your viewpoint changes when you start recognizing uh, the weirdness around you Um, so I don't know if it's that we attract more of it or it's that we're just like open to seeing it more I don't know I'd love to hear Garrett about that too, because I've wondered about it myself. I, because the way that I I've sort of described it is like um, when you uh, when you you have like a magnet and then you have like a piece of steel and you put the magnet on the steel, the steel ends up magnetized a little bit. So you know, by kind of like exposing yourself to this stuff, you're in a sense sort of magnetizing. You're getting a little on you, and it kind of accumulates. You know, your your perspective uh, broadens for sure. Like yeah, like. Go off. Let me let me let me hear what you got. Well, I'm not quite sure what Jeremy's talking about, but <laughs> but um, I mean, are you thinking like um, just like your weird walks and stuff like you and Jake used to go on? Oh, or like, going, oh, that, like going OK, on OK, that's walks, what you're talking about. Like, sure. Okay. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, in high school, my friend Jake and Josh, they would just like uh, flip a dice or they used to have like a Xandar like it was a piece from a game it was like a crystal ball with a oh a wizard yeah, I, think in it. I think i've heard you talk about this yeah. before this is fascinating yeah and they would rub their hand over it and would give you like yes or no answers kind of like a magic eight ball or something but they were just kind of like go on this mystical journey that's what they call it and um they would bring me sometimes and they would just ask like which direction should we go you know and xandar would tell them and they would go with this openness that anything they encountered was meant to happen you know like that intention and weird stuff always happened when you did that i mean it was um, it was incredible like we found i remember we found like a crossword puzzle that had been filled in with dots instead of letters like there was some kind of code uh we found this machine that was giving this like weird hum off that was like a like a weird drone and we it just felt like everything felt magical we felt i remember one time there was a halo over the moon and then uh, like a, a jet had flown through. So it was like uh, no smoking sign, but with the moon. So it was like no moon. <laughs> and we're like, what is no moony? Like the night of no moon, you know, we're like free- freaking out. But like the more you like, yeah, you go into it with that intention, like new eyes to like 
whatever's hap- happening is meant to happen, you can like draw all of these weird stories and myths from it. Um, and it feels like it's responding to you being like, that's my impression of it, at least. So, uh, I've done I've done a lot of thinking on that. I've done a little writing then, uh, to kind of like suss a, it out. Um, I've used through, the so Randonautica like, app, uh, no smoking which sign, is really the moon. It's, so it's like no moon. Uh, which you know that, like, that all what is no moon? Like the night of no moon. I wish I could know, remember like, the name freak, of the guy freaking out. The, but like uh, French the more you like, yeah, you go into it with that intention, like you just go and you let the landscape sort of dictate the direction happen. You can like draw going in, sort of breaking out of your routine, sort of like. From smashing it. the reality um, bubble and it feels that like you're it's in, responding like you, to you kind of open yourself up to like, like really that's just, my just things that you would least. ordinarily just so, overlook. Um, I've done it. I've done it myself. Where uh, I took, I just you know did the thing. You know, set an intention. I think the first one I did was like treasure. I was like, take me to treasure, and I you know I set it off, and it was like it was a god. It was I I didn't realize it was measuring in kilometers, and so I walked a long way. Um, but it took me to this like really bizarre spot that, um, when I got there, I didn't really find treasure, but, um, the, the walk in itself, I eventually came to sort of categorize like that. Like this was a very, this is an interesting experience. I'll tell, like, I'll tell people about this for years and I've definitely like shared this with, with folks before, but it was like the end, the end result was the pin was on basically a frozen pond. Um, and what was there was, uh, it looked like a chicken had been killed, uh, by, uh, by, you know, a predator basically. Uh, and it, you know, I started to think about that and I'm like, what was a chicken doing out here? Cause it was definitely chicken feathers. Like it had that, like, you know, that golden, you know, hens, like they're that, that sort of color that they get. But the thing that really kind of was alarming to me was there was like a pile of feed in the middle of this like frozen pond and there was a uh, like a remarkable lack of blood so there was like little spots here and there but like something had clearly been attacked here but also the fact that the feed was in like the middle of this pond was like did somebody like fucking lure a chicken out here or like leave it to like in this place like it was vi- just the location told a very strange story uh, but also along the way, like I was listening to the last podcast on the left as I walked and then um, like everything that they were saying as I was walking would sort of occur in my in my viewpoint. Like they just they just they were talking about like crows and like all of a sudden everywhere I look like there's a little like carving of a crow like on a stick in somebody's yard. There's like a shitload of them over there eating garbage. And then there's like some stuff up here, like more pictures of crows and then like after the podcast ended, like I put on like a death metal record, like a mortician album and the tenor of the walk got real dark. Like I walked past a space where I was like, Oh yeah. Like, like a, like a friend, like a, an old friend of mine had been, had been murdered like several years back. And like the ta- the walk took me pl- past the place where like the police found her body. And like, it was like, just, it was, it was as if like my consciousness was directing all of the stuff that I encountered on this very bizarre walk. And so to like, you know, I'm listening to like this sludgy, grimy death metal and to find this like place where an animal had very clearly been attacked. It was such a strange experience, but uh, I I've, I've since done it again, like, and had a very equally as bizarre, like experience. It was, it's very wild. But like, if you definitely, if you do that thing where it's just like, we're going to go two miles that way 
and it's like a place you've never really been before like you're very likely to sort of like wander into something that's just like very very strange like you know especially if you're like of our particular kind of consciousness where we're we're actively seeking these things uh, those things will will present themselves to you it's just it's very it's very very interesting i recommend it to everybody though you probably won't end up in places where people have died yeah I, you're speaking my language that's like i love and I, I love that it's just like i mean you don't have you don't have to use like randonautica where you can just do this thing and like it, it's maybe is a skill that over time you get better at like finding the connections and like learning how to relate things together but it's so weird you just take a weird walk and if you go with that intention i've always had really interesting positive experiences from yeah. it and like it's just like the setting of intention is key to it like you yeah. can't just go out and like go in a direction like you do have to have like uh even even just a vague destination in mind like when you use that app like the 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 instruction is like think in generalities don't be like i want to go to mcdonald's and then because you know it does it doesn't work like that it's but it's like if you're like green I, one of the ones i saw recently on on the little subreddit was somebody's intention was like green and, and nine and it took them to uh, a green sign that said nine miles per hour yeah so like crazy like i mean it's like when you think in terms of that and you just kind of you know, let your, you know, let your consciousness drift and go with it. Like it, it goes to strange places. Like, you know, it's, it really is kind of like a, a friend of mine calls it legend tripping where it's like, this is just how, like, if you're like for a long time, when I was a kid, it was like, ah, oh, I wish weird stuff would happen to me. Like, even though it was happening to me all the time and I just didn't like think of like, I didn't recognize it that way. Cause it wasn't like a horror movie, but like, this is how you can manufacture those experiences. Yeah. I think it kind of goes into a conversation that we were having amongst ourselves just a few days ago, and it's kind of weighing how much power does consciousness really have and how moldable really is our reality. And so I, I kind of keep my foot in both of those mindsets of like, it could be something external and it's very creepy and I'm mystified, but it also could be, um, I don't know the capability I have of molding my own reality. And when I put it to the test, it, it fucking works. <laughs> so like, where are we? I do. I try not to do, I try not to do that very much because um, I inevitably start talking about like chaos theory and, you know, like theoretical physics. And I have, I'm just some fucking guy with a MacBook on the internet. Like I don't, I'm not a researcher of like deep academia and like physics. So like, I have the thinnest grasp over those concepts in, in a, in a mercurial field of study where like all of their proponents also recognize that they also have the thinnest, like just the most unstable grasp on these concepts. But it really does kind of always come back to the notion of uh, Schrodinger's cat, where it's like a thing is not a concrete thing until you, until somebody observes it in a, in, in some way. So like the cat goes in the box and the box is purely hypothetical and there's really no way to measure this, the cat's situation without opening it and looking. But if you open and look at it, you kill it. So like it's both in this kind of state of superposition where it's alive and dead and everything in between those two states until you, you know, sort of directly observe it and sort of determine its fate, which is really grim. But, you know, what are you going to do? It's weird. Interesting to think. I like the term legend tripping because what we talk about a lot, um, there's a phrase we use all, really often called remythologizing your landscape. 
um, where the idea is that I have heard you talk about this. I love yeah, this. Where you the the uh, thank you the the concept of course is that um, you know as a particularly in like a white colonialist you know Anglo European Western capitalist culture that we've we've sort of got ourselves stuck in right now. We've lost the idea um, of of creating personal myths. Uh, we've lost the, the capability to do that. And there are cultures that still have that capability. And this isn't to, you know, appropriate any of that. But the, the idea is that um, you are, when you go out and have these experiences, and when you record them, like we are trying to do on the map, um, you are creating um, fundamental changes in the way that you um that you're finding meaning in your geography. So, you know, your walk that you were talking about earlier, um, that is now like a mythological event that occurred in your life. Um, that is just as, uh, you know, impactful and important to you as, you know, maybe the story of um, Achilles was to, you know, somebody who was a, a Spartan, um, you know, back during the Peloponnesian War. Um, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that gives your life meaning. And, and it's interesting to me, and the more and more we talk about um, the idea of, because we, um, there's a lot of like tinkerers that, that kind of, you know, we intersect with too. Um, and, and Garrett does a lot of um, really cool, you know, stuff with the stuff with ham radio, uh, making an antenna to talk to UFOs. Um, I have a, like a, a centrifuge that I got. Uh, and it's just a silly little centrifuge that I, I wanted to use it for like molecular gastronomy stuff. Um, but I thought, wouldn't it be cool to put some like, like occult sigils on it and, uh, use it for like uh, infusing potions with energy or, you know, or it, it, that kind of thing. And it's the idea that, um, even like the, the chaos theory and the quantum mechanics and, uh, the deep psycho psychology behind all of this stuff is folklore and mythology. And, you know, is the ghost hunting equipment that people use, is that, effective because it's picking up scientifically recordable sounds or experiences or is it equally effective because it is a folkloric device that you are creating mythology around um so that's kind of like the idea of remythologizing your landscape getting out there and doing stuff and then now there we have a place we can sort of share this this mythology so that people can you know that we we can we can tell our own myths to each other uh, that can affect the way that we think about things and process information and, and what we think about these experiences. Right. And in a lot of ways, um, the way that people are putting like pins down on the map and saying like missing time here, UFO sighting here, like in a lot of ways by doing that, what you're doing is, is creating sort of like weird bubbles. So now there are going to, there are people who might visit these locations with the expectation in mind with the intention, I'm also going to experience missing time. I'm also going to see a UFO. And like, I mean, the, the, the likelihood of this happening, if you're open to that sort of thing, you're not some kind of like nihilistic skeptic who's just like, I'm going to prove these maniacs wrong. Like you'll miss, you'll have, you know, you'll all of a sudden you won't be able to account for seven minutes of your life. Or, you know, there will be an object in the sky that just, you know, makes absolutely no sense simply because somebody helped you set that intention and you're sort of manifesting this simply by kind of going through what is in a way is like uh like you're performing like a ritual in order to sort of make this happen by simply going there you know it's it's 
it's a thing like one of my personal like my personal projects that I talk about every now and then is uh, something very similar in that when we're kids we spend you know like everything we do takes you know there's so much imagination it all takes place in our heads and we're constantly telling stories and coming up with you know our own kind of like internal mythology simply because like that's just what kids do we you know we play and we kind of explore and you know, so much of our interaction with the world is kind of fueled by like a complete lack of experience with it. So in a lot of ways, like possibility is so much more, you know, that, that, that bandwidth is so much wider than it is when you're like 45. Um, so, but then eventually we get to a spot where it's like, okay, you got to leave all that behind you got to stop thinking about it. And then like more and more, the older you get, like the less magic your world is. And so a lot of my, my mission for the last several years has been to, at least for myself, sort of re-inject the world with like that kind of magic. And so a lot of the sort of chasing of the occult and really kind of leaning hard into, into the, the world of the paranormal has been just mostly just to sort of entertain myself, but in, in also, but also to just sort of like, you know, bring that stuff back to me. Like, cause we put so much energy as children into this that it seems like it seems suicidal to me that eventually we just kind of throw it away. You know, we have no more need for this sort of thing because, you know, we're adults and real life has, you know, the priority, but I don't see why you can't have it both ways. So like, it's, you know, vitally important to me, at least that we kind of get that, that wonder and weirdness kind of back into the world. And uh, you, you know, you guys are really, are kind of leading the charge with that. Like your map is crazy crowded. You know, you could plot a whole, you could plot a whole like trip across the country and like, you know, based on like a, a pin on every, on every, every couple of miles, it's, it's outstanding. I was just saying the map isn't crowded enough. We want more entries. Oh, by all means, like everybody listening to this, get over there right now. If you've got stories to tell, good God, it, they've never made it easier for you. I, I love the idea of us being able to foster someone's need for a spooky road trip because that's something that I have done multiple times and I've dug so much time and resources into. And as much fun as that is for me, it may not be fun for the next person. So if we can facilitate that, that's great. But I think for ourselves as well, we see ourselves going out and investigating these places worldwide one day. So I think that's the main goal in all of this is that we, we want to explore this mythology with the people who firsthand experienced it and then document what happens from there. Um, and it's all very open-ended. It's all very um, experimental. You know, we, we talk about consciousness and multiple reality, but at the end of the day, it's always open-ended for us. And it, it's either going to be true or false. So we kind of sit in that middle there and we have fun with it. We don't want to just kind of sorry, next thing. Um, I don't know. It's weird, but I find I have to explain that because other people don't feel that way. <laughs> so. Are there spots on the map that, uh, that surprise you? Uh, location wise or submissions? Sure. So my first interpretation of that is um, individual stories or like uh, discovering unsuspected pockets. So I think outside of, you know, moving to this peninsula and having this unexpected experience, um, one of my favorite little pockets of spookiness is one of the most popular places that people go to for tourism in Washington, which is the Olympic Peninsula. 
And we don't have a lot of submissions to it yet, but I have been doing a lot of research for a case log, something that we do for our 10 plus Patreons. Um, but I'm digging into the history of, of the Olympic Peninsula, the folklore behind these certain pockets. So there tends to be three main pockets where we get reports or we get people talking about, and it's the right outside of Port Angeles, Siquium area. How do you say Squeam? Squeam? I always say it wrong, and that's how you know I'm not from here. <laughs> Wim. Squim, okay. Yeah, Port Angeles, Squim. Squim. And then you have the Forks area, and then you have that little space between Quinault and um, Aberdeen. So those are the three main pockets. Um, and so that's kind of what surprised me because it's such a place of natural beauty. It's such a place uh, that's very world renowned for tourists from everywhere. Uh, but then there's this underbelly and this, uh, oh, tourists are having weird experiences here. Oh, the, the Ho Forest is one of the oldest forests in the state. And there's some really strange, almost fae-like activity, strange lights. Um, I think that's the most surprising thing to me because I moved here with the mindset of, oh, we're going to do a lot of outdoor stuff. We like to hike and, and take the dogs to the beach. Um, the Olympic Peninsula is like the outdoor person's playground. Little do I know, it's now also, you know, a strangeness researcher's <laughs> paradise. <laughs> so that's been the biggest surprise to me with, uh, with the map. I think an interesting place is Renton, which if you lived in Seattle, Renton has kind of like a, it's just like where Ikea is and like, you know, like a bunch of big box places. And it's like kind of like forgotten and people like disparage it a little bit. Walmart. But, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Stuff like that. And it's like right south of Seattle. And we had saw this thing on the internet. We saw this thing on the internet from the 90s that there was a thing called the screaming well there, where if you like found this well, uh, you could like put your ear to it and you'd hear disembodied voices. So Jeremy and I were like, hey, let's go. You know, we got to find this. And they said the voices will go home with you. Um, but it didn't say where it was. So we went out looking and we found this and the area that kind of said it was, was the Black River Riparian Forest. And I, this goes back to that whole thing about the remythologizing or like going out with intention and then things happening. Like, this is like a place I lived in Seattle for like 15 years and never been to this area. It's kind of a forgotten area, but all of this stuff happens there now. Like we have had so many weird things happen. We found this man or we call him the drone gnome. We came out when we went into the forest, we found these weird structures made out of wood. We came out and there was this man wearing these goggles and he's like, Hey you guys want to fly? And he, what? He, he put, <laughs> yeah. He put these goggles on us and then he, he flew a drone around and we could see ourselves oh, outside okay. of our own bodies, you know? And we're <laughs> like, you were gonna say, like, he gave you LSD no, or no, something. No, no. <laughs> but like, we, it was like an out of body experience, you know. It was like a modern like. I have thing. I have watched those, and yeah. good God, if I could if I could afford it, I would love one of those like drone know, racing so kits cool. with the goggles. Yeah, that's nuts. He made it like hold on to his silver car. He looked like Doc Brown or something, you know, like this like it was like that kind of vibe from Back to the Future. And then just recently, there's been two uh, incidences of like these peeled oranges that have shown up there. I've seen the photos. Yeah. It's so weird. It's just like over and over. It's just this place that's just like over and over again. These like we found weird staircases. We found um, there's a road there called Monster Road. It's just like 
constantly like strange things happening there and, and weird ties into all these different places. So it's almost like they kind of go to sleep as, as people sort of pay less and less attention yeah. to them. But then as they, as you go back, they're like, aha, right. <laughs> now I've got somebody to freak, freak out. Right. We've got that around, around here. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure that this is really kind of ever I'm, I'm talking about everywhere really, but like, I've been looking into sort of the, my local area because it feels very much like buttoned down and very much under the control of sort of mundane reality. Like there's a town nearby where I, I spent a lot of time as a kid because, you know, there was a really awesome coffee house that also doubled as like a punk rock music venue. And there was a lot of art and culture and like skinheads and goths and punks. Just we like, they just ruled this town. And then eventually like, it kind of hit the skids and fell to real estate developers who've since like basically torn the city down and just built faceless luxury apartments around, around the whole place. And so most of its identity is just gone. And so a lot of my, my sort of looking around this place is sort of looking back when I was a kid and all of the stuff, basically before the internet, when really it was just like weirdness was entirely just like whispered, you know, in the oral tradition, you know, it was weird rumors. We had a thing around here called the glowing gravestone. And um, I don't think anybody ever actually found it. You heard about it. Somebody said it was in this cemetery, but somebody would else would say it's in that cemetery, you know, and this is, this is like, this is like classic new England. So there's like every town has like 1500 cemeteries in it. So, you know, it's, it's like, nobody could really ever, ever point it out. I've never found it. I would love to actually like go out and actually locate this thing in the, in the late eighties, really sort of at the, at the height of all of the sort of satanic panic, there were news paper articles that I very clearly remember seeing, but I can't find them. At least they, they, they likely have not been digitized. I might have to actually go to a library for it that actually were reporting on like activity out at this like old world war II bunker that uh, may or may not be connected to like this network of tunnels that just run around underneath the entire seacoast. And it's crazy. And if you just like march around in the forest, you'll find hatches that just go into the, uh, into the ground. There's a, there's a bulkhead uh, that you can only access at low tide. Very, very strange stuff that like nobody talks about anymore. And so it's very much my intention to sort of get out there and actually find, find this stuff. Like I've actually seen the tunnels underneath. There's a house um, in town that used to belong to a bootlegger where like, if you go down, it's like now it's apartments, but like it, in the day, like you went down in the basement, you could just like move booze through the, through the tunnels underneath the city. It's crazy. And so like, I mean, everywhere you go, even in the most boring places in America, like there is definitely some kind of like old story that uh, like, if you dig, like, it's like the thread that like, the more you pull, like more of the, the sweater comes apart, like you're going to find more and more. It's definitely worth looking into like, you know, your local community, because there is definitely like really strange stuff uh, going on. Like the, 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 the history of this country is very much occulted it's it's weird one way or the other when we first started the map it was specific to seattle it was liminal seattle and uh one of the reasons why we did it is because um you know over the past uh i'd say decade um that seattle has just become like it's gone from being this cool like you know the city where grunge started and like this old fishing city that had you know very few people living here and the people were all cool and interesting um to being like 
Amazon and Microsoft. And, you know, there's this neighborhood called South Lake Union um, that's sort of near downtown Seattle. And it used to be this kind of cool, grungy area with a bunch of warehouses and, you know, interesting things. And then Amazon came in and basically like, and, and, and Microsoft and, and, you know, Paul Allen and those guys basically just leveled it and put up a bunch of identical buildings, you know, and kind of sterilized it. And, you know, we put that on the map originally as a almost kind of a joke and called it the Hellmouth. And it's still there. If you go to Seattle, you can see it's the big red um, thing in, in Seattle called the, the Seattle Hellmouth. Um, <laughs> and, and part of the reason we did that, though, is because we we wanted to use this map to reclaim some of the weirdness. Like we want to we want to take it back. And one of the, the best comments we got uh, in the early days of the map was somebody who uh, wrote to say, you know, I like this because I thought that Seattle had become all tech bros and real estate agents. Uh, and now I know that, you know, there's there's still stuff here underneath that, that stuff that's cool. Go ahead. Go ahead. Weirdo, weirdos rise up. Yeah. Weirdos rise up. That's so, I love that. I love that so much because I traveled to Seattle for the first time about 10 years ago and I fell in love. I didn't realize I was witnessing the end of like an era pretty much. And it kind of, arguably for the locals, like it had been in progress by the time that I had visited, but um, having such a, like a strong and positive memory and then moving here two years ago, very different, very different story. Um, But fun little, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know if I'd call it. So we have a word that we use when it may not be like a full synchronicity, but we don't want to sound like a jerk and say, oh, it's a coincidence. Um, it's something more than that, but it might not be a full-blown synchronicity storm, but we call it a fun sync, which is, oh, something fun, but instead of saying synchronicity to death. So fun sync, um, glowing tombstones is actually something I'm looking into right now <laughs> because in my hometown, right on the Ohio River of Kentucky and in, in Indiana, uh, there's a cemetery called Bridgewater. And I was talking to a local reporter who's been a reporter for the last 11 years uh, messaged me about spooky places there and um, he's going to be submitting a lot of the stuff to the map but I asked him about the place and he said is that the one with the glowing tombstones when people ask me that people have asked me that like two or three times this week and it's never that place it's always another place that they're talking about but I also know what they're saying but we can't seem to find like the actual cemetery that that rumor is is for and so it's it's interesting or um, Bridgewater Cemetery has all of these crazy rumors, but um, doesn't have a glowing group, uh, tombstone. I've been there 15 plus times. That's where I kind of got my start, but I'm constantly having these similar discussions. And so to witness someone else saying, oh, you know, this glowing tombstone, I'm like, okay. <laughs> I had no I idea you. that I had no idea that that was like a thing. Like that's, that's yes. incredible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a thing with me, but I thought that's where it ended. Of course. That's it awesome. Didn't. Like, Go us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now what that does to me in my brain, the way that works is like, is there some sort of like bioluminescent lichen that thrives on like this particular kind of stone that they used to use as tombstones back in the old days and people are seeing this. And now my next question is, if that's the case, what if the glowing that they're seeing is actually the ghost of bioluminescent lichen <laughs> <laughs> hanging out on this tombstone and just manifesting every now and again in cemeteries across the country? It's fractals. We're big on we're big on like ghost, uh, you know, liminal ecology about <laughs> you know 
It, is, it doesn't have to be the ghost of a human. It could be like a spider ghost or a, right. Like my like thought, a, my like my personal <laughs> thought on the on the the whole like glowy gravestone out here is like I I used to live across the street from a cemetery and I would you know ride my bike through it and just kind of wander around in it. And the one thing that I always noticed is that like there's a certain point where like the material made that were that headstones were made out of definitely changed over time. Like the really old ones are that like gray slate, you know, that you, you can, it's coming to mind right now as I speak, there's a middle period where it was um, it's not granite, you know, it's New Hampshire. So granite, everything out here, but like at a certain point, granite kind of became the de facto stone, but there's a period in between where I don't know what kind of stone it is, but the way that it presents is it's very, very white. And I can imagine that like, if that were to hit, the, like the moonlight were to strike that like at a particular time under a particular phase of the moon like that i could see how that might you know seem to be luminescent but uh i don't want to i don't want to try to rationalize it like i definitely want to make it like i also have like an internal like vision of it being like this ghostly green like some scooby-doo shit but uh yeah like one of these days one of these days i'm gonna actually go go to the place because i remember the legends that the kids used that we, we used to pass around were always like Oh, well, it's not actually in the cemetery. You have to like climb up this thing and go over. There's always like a little bit of peril involved because we're, you know, we're all 13, but uh, you know, that's, that's, that's that. But um, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I love though, is like, we can, we start to rationalize it and then we're like, wait a second, we don't have to have an explanation. We can just sit and enjoy the fact that someone once saw a glowing gravestone and now it's this like whispered thing between you know, communities. Yeah. And I think people don't sit in that long enough. I think people are very quick to like solve it. Next one, solve it. Next one. Like, yeah, this is not like, it's not your nine to five job. Like we don't have a quota. Like, let's just sit in this, in this weirdness. I don't know. That's, I, I love it. And so that there is like a, a weird, like it, it seems to something that has kind of fallen away in the last few years is like really kind of with the rise of kind of like the, the ghost hunting show where the ghost hunters are never just like woo woo weirdos. It's always like, you know, like the, the Roto-Rooter guys who are like very skeptical and scientific about it. And in the last few years, and I really don't know what the, what the, the genesis of this was, but that quality of it seems to have disappeared where more and more people are willing to just be like, yeah, I don't want to know why this is happening. I just want to see it happen. You know, it's really more like having the experience is far more valuable than having the knowledge of like, like, oh, well, you know, the pipes under these conditions rub together and it makes a strange sound. It's like, oh, don't demystify it. I mean, the mystery is the fun part. Yeah, I think Garrett has some really fun things to say about that. I've heard him talk about um, his last appearance with Jim was um, kind of talking about that a little bit. But um, yeah, I it's so interesting just thinking about that because I think they're trying to be accessible or approachable. Like, oh, I'm just your Roto-Rooter guy. But I, I don't think that they're going about it the right way, in my personal opinion. It obviously works for some people, but I, I kind of like our approach better. And um, <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I have enjoyed this tremendously. Um, Y'all have been magnificent guests, and I'm so glad that you joined me. Uh, uh, getting into your heads, hearing your stories. This has been this has been a lot of fun, um, and I want to. Uh, I really want to thank you for taking the time. That said, where y'all at? Where can people find you? And uh, where can I where can I drive them to? Because uh, you are all involved in uh, in a very worthy endeavor. Well, the the main the the 
the reason for our existence <laughs> um, is, of course, the map itself at liminal.earth. Um, we have a submission form on there. It's very easy to find. It's just liminal.earth slash submit. Um, we'll take anything. It doesn't have to be paranormal. In fact, we really like getting stuff that's like, I saw a weird looking crow the other day or a dog wearing shoes or, you know, I saw the ghost of a dog's legs, but not the whole dog. We, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, um, I've been watching Ghostbusters lately uh, with, with my son for the first time. Um, and, you know, they have that whole commercial where they're like, we're ready to believe you. And I'm, and that's us. Like, we're ready to believe you. We're not debunkers. Um, we just want people to feel comfortable sharing interesting things that happen to them. Um, we also, for submissions, we, we don't require, like, we're not going to send people to your house. Um, we wouldn't put your exact house on the map. Um, we would find the, the closest intersection. But even if that's too close, just give us the town it happened in. You know, we'll drop a pin into the center of the town and, and that's totally fine. Submissions can also be a totally anonymous. You don't have to use your name if you don't want to. Um, we just want to, we want to get that data on the map. We want to get, we want to get it collected. Um, so that's, that's my spiel about the map. Um, we also have, uh, we're very active on TikTok of all things. Um, we have uh, our, probably our largest social media following is on TikTok. Uh, we love it, and uh, it got, doesn't get love from certain people, um, but we found that it's a really cool way for us to engage with weirdness and to get fun content out there. And Garrett is like a master um, TikTok editor slash coach. Um, so our success there has largely been because of his mad skills. Um, it really, really dance and lip sync. It's, it's something. <laughs> but uh, I always get mixed up on like what the, you know, is it the at liminal earth on TikTok or is it at liminal dot earth or. I think it's just at liminal earth. I think it's just. Yeah. Everything on, on social media for us is um, at liminal earth except Instagram, which is at liminal.earth, and Patreon, which is Patreon slash liminal maps, right? No, I think we got it. Or did we, we, change we changed it. We changed it? It's liminal earth. The only one that's dot is Instagram because it was unavailable. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. We recently went through a big transition with our Patreon. Um, so it's under liminal earth society now. Yeah, our Patreon's fun. We have a Discord server um, that our patrons can can get on. And to be perfectly honest, you know, if you're not a patron and you just want to hang out with us on Discord, like just let us know because we just love chatting with people about this stuff. Um, it doesn't matter who they are. Um, our Discord is uh, it's not as active as some, but the conversations that happen there are really really awesome, and it's getting more and more active every day. So I don't know. Did, did that cover everything, y'all, or did I miss anything? Oh, we also started this thing called uh, WUFO. Oh, of course, yeah. So it's Wednesday night, UFO Watch. So WUFO.watch. We made a website for it uh, with... Um, hey, you guys are really taking advantage of those top, those new top-level domains. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's all, yeah, a lot of the ones that are taken. But that one... Uh, uh, weird astrology on Twitter uh, made this whole thing about how John Keel said Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. best time to see a UFO. And we're like, well, let's put that to the test. So we made this every week, Wednesday at 10 p.m. Your time. We go outside. We look up into the sky. We Bex has been trying to communicate with uh, 
spirit boxes. I made this ham radio antenna. I can point at the UFOs if they do decide to show up. Uh, we've made UFO water and it's totally free. It's just, we want people to go outside. It's kind of like the liminal walk thing, like go out with that intention, see what happens, you know? And uh, if anything strange happens, let us know, put it on the map. So yeah, that's great. It's, it's almost like uh like Steven Greer's whole thing where it's like, we're just going to go out and we're going to set the intention to see a UFO. And then they like almost always do. So, yeah. Yeah. We, I think we'll have probably more sick. Am I still, no, you're on. Am I muted you're or on. not? Oh, okay. I think we'll probably start seeing uh, more more success too as the as the seasons change. Right now, we started it in the middle of winter, so now like half the people who are going to participate are like, "Well, it's negative twenty five out right now, so I'm going to stay inside." <laughs> yeah, they just don't have that commitment. <laughs> Come on, just go outside, put a jacket on, you guys. You can do it inside. <laughs> that's that's liminal dot earth, man. They are some busy bees. Uh, get down with it. Uh, once again, thank you so much, you guys. I I have I had a blast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Brian. This was great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Fear is the Mind Killer. Once again, I'd like to ask that if you liked what you heard, that you subscribe to me on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And while you're at it, a five-star review would be greatly appreciated. If you'd like to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter at ThatWerewolfThough, that's T-H-O, and on Instagram as FitMKPod. Join me again in two weeks when I once again dive into the depths of fear and personal horror on Fear is the Mind Killer.